0: Well, greetings to you, and what a joy it is to be back with you today to just spend some time together in God's Word. And this is David Carnes, and this is the podcast that we call Time in God's Word. And as we finish up this week together, we are continuing our look now at John's Gospel and the beginning of the public ministry of Jesus. And we find ourselves today in John chapter 2 and verses 18 through 22. And as we begin our look at this part of the chapter, I want to remind us of the theme of John's gospel. The theme now is Jesus is God. And as we have been spending time in the first part of this book, we have found that up until now, there have been a couple of ways that the deity of Jesus has been proven. The first way is through the testimony of others. People speaking of the deity of Jesus. But then a second way that the deity of Jesus has been proven in John's gospel is through the miracles of Jesus. Jesus doing things only God can do. And so we have seen two ways that John has gone about proving that Jesus is God. But now, with that said, We come to the third way now that John goes about proving the deity of Jesus. And that is, John focuses on the omniscience of Jesus. In other words, Jesus knows all things. And of course, it's only God that knows all things. For example, in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 20, scripture says, God knows everything. But then in Psalm chapter 147 in verse 5, the text says, Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. Now, Scripture's clear. God knows all things. And in this text today, we are going to see that Jesus, he knows all things. And let me say that the way John points this out for us today is that Jesus is seen as knowing all all that is to come. He knows the future. And so that is what we're going to see today. It's a wonderful text that's before us, and I want to get us right into it. And so let me do that. And again, the text we are looking at today, it is John chapter 2 and verses 18 through 22, as we spend time in God's Word. Point number one in all this is Jesus knows all that is to come. That's point number one. Jesus knows all that is to come. Now we see this in verses 18 through 22. And as we make our way to this part of the text, let me remind us that we are coming out of that text where Jesus, remember, has just cleared the temple. This is what we looked at the last time that we were together. He cleared out the vendors. He cleared out the money changers. He cleared out all the animals. A miracle has just taken place. And again, demonstrating Jesus' power of deity. That's what he's doing. He did something there that only God could have done. But again, the temple has been cleared. And when we get to verse number 18, we see this. Jesus is confronted. This is what happens. And so this is where we begin. You look at verse number 18 again. And let me just read this again. The text says, so the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? And how just stop right there. Now, a few things here to, to, to bring out. But first of all, notice again, and we've seen this before in John's gospel, John brings up the Jews here. And remember this about John and when he writes through his gospel here, what he does. But when he mentions the Jews, remember, he's always referring to the enemies of Jesus when he brings up the Jews. Now, let me say this. Let me clarify something. This is not to say that all of the Jews were the enemies of Jesus. But again, this is John's way of speaking of those that were against Jesus. You see it all through his gospel. Also, just to make this note, but this group of Jews... They would have been the religious leaders of the day. So we're talking about the Pharisees. We're talking about the Sadducees, maybe some priests, maybe some rabbis sprinkled in here. But that is who comes and confronts Jesus at this point. But then with that said, you look back at the text and you notice this. You notice that they had a question for Jesus, didn't they? They did. What was the question? The question was, so what sign do you show us for doing these things? In other words, they're asking Jesus, so who are you? (laughs) Really, who are you to come into this temple and do what you've just done? In other words, what authority do you have to come in and do this? And if you have some type of authority to come into this temple and drive the people out, then prove you are someone with that kind of authority and you know how you can prove it? Work a sign. That's what they just said. Now, I want you to remember this. At this point, Jesus is relatively an unknown. They don't know who he is. They've never seen him before. He's just arrived from where? Do you remember? Capernaum. He's made his way from the north to the south part of Israel. And again, they say to Jesus, give us a sign. Do some great work. Do some great miracle. Prove to us that you have the authority to do what you just came in here and did. That's what they're saying. But now with that said, if you stop and think about this for a moment, it should hit us. Jesus just did a great sign, didn't he? He did. He just cleared the temple. And again, that is something that only God could have done. And yet they're blind to the miracle. They don't see it. And let me say this, but right here, we see the spiritually blind unable to see the things of God. This is an example right here. Right here, we see an example of the depravity of man. We see the hardness of the heart. That's what we see right here. Let me just say this as well. We're going to get more into that in just a moment. But again, what do they ask for? They ask for a sign. And at this point, I think it's a good question to ask. The question would be, what kind of sign are they looking for? What kind of sign are they asking for that would somehow appease them at this point? Because they just saw something great. So what is it that they are really looking for? What kind of miracle would appease these people? Well, let me say that at this point, when you study this, what you come to find is the Jews. On more than one occasion, they came to Jesus in Scripture and they said to Him, show us a sign from heaven, Jesus. Show us a sign from heaven. Now, this is what they're asking for here. Show us a sign from heaven. And and the reason I say this is because there are times in Scripture, again, when they say, show us a sign from heaven. For example, Matthew chapter 16, verse 1. They say, show us a sign from heaven. But when we hear this, we have to ask the question then, what does that mean? What is a sign from heaven? Now, We ask that to understand this. We need to really go back to verse number 16 in our chapter. You remember, we looked at this last week, verse number 16, Jesus, he's clearing out the temple. And what did he say? He said, do not make my father's house, a house of trade. You see that there. And so right here, what did he do? He proclaimed his deity, didn't he? He's saying his father is God. And remember, that is a statement of deity because the child takes on the same essence as the father. And so, right there in the temple that day, he claimed his deity. And so, as Jesus would proclaim his deity, the religious leaders would in turn then say, Okay, then show us that you are God. You say you are. Show us your God, and that you're God. and, And you know how you can do it? Send something down from heaven. Do that. Show us a great work that originates out of heaven. And so when they would say this, they were probably thinking of something. And if you go back into your scriptures, you maybe begin to conjure this up. But maybe they were thinking of the ministry of Elijah when the prophet called down fire from where? Heaven to burn up the offering that he had set forth. Or maybe they're thinking about the the ministry of Moses when he was out in the wilderness and what was raining down out of heaven when the people needed to eat manna maybe they're even thinking of joshua when joshua was in that great battle joshua called out to the lord stop the sun stop the moon and scripture tells us that the sun and the moon stopped so that the day could be prolonged and the battle could continue on But again, they say to Jesus, so your Father is God, then give us a sign. This sign, it's got to come out of heaven, Jesus. We want to see this. Which then takes us to verse number 19. You see in verse number 19, after they made their statement, Jesus then goes on to say, Jesus answered them, destroy this temple. And in three days, I will raise it up. That's what he says. Now stop right there. Now, let me say, there is a lot here in this response that Jesus gives powerful words, powerful words. And again, let me say, but in these words, Jesus, he proves his deity and that little statement he just threw out there. He just proved his deity. Let me bring this out. A number of things to bring out from what he just said. First of all, notice that Jesus speaks of what is to come, right? What he's talking about is future. He speaks of the future. And again, Jesus knows all things, which includes what? The future. And right here, he speaks of the future when he says, destroy this temple, and in three days, I'm going to raise it up now. I want you to understand this. But right here, we need to see that Jesus is using, and he does this a lot, but he's using what's called metaphorical language. Metaphorical. In other words, he uses the word temple to actually refer to what? His body. That's what he's doing. He's not speaking about that building in Jerusalem that he just cleared out. That's not what he's speaking about. Again, right here, he is speaking of his own physical body. And what he is saying is, there's going to be a day that you are going to destroy my body. He's looking at the people who one day are going to do this. And he says, there's going to be a day that you're going to destroy my body. You're going to kill my body. The word destroy, by the way, in the Greek text here, it literally means demolish. And so this is what he's saying. And remember, the Scripture does teach many times, and it does refer to our bodies as a temple. It does. Just one example. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse number 16, the Apostle Paul makes the point that every believer is the temple of God and that within every believer the Holy Spirit lives. The Holy Spirit resides, dwells. In some metaphorical language, the body of the believers, the temple of God. And again, right here, Jesus says to those religious leaders, the day is going to come that you are going to kill me. You are going to kill my body. He's making a statement then of future fact. That's what he is doing. That's how you read this. The day would come, wouldn't it? Would the day come? Yes, the day would come. The Jews would have Jesus killed. The day would come that they would have the Romans nail the body of Jesus to a cross. The day's coming. It's three years down the road, and it's coming. But then with that said, Jesus, you look back at verse 19. He goes on to say, and in three days, I will raise it up. Again, Jesus speaking of his body. It would be what? Three days after the crucifixion, wouldn't it? His body would be raised from the grave. By by the way, something interesting here, and I want to bring this note out, and we're just going to look at it very briefly. Again, do you see here in this text, Jesus said, He will raise His body up. That's what it says. I say this is interesting because there are other texts in Scripture, for example, that says the Father raised His body up. Romans chapter 6, verse 4, it says it. Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. But then also, Scripture says not only did Jesus raise up his body, not only did the Father raise up his body, but Scripture also tells us in Romans chapter 8, verse number 11, that the Spirit raised up his body at the resurrection. And so I just bring this out to pose a question, and that is so which is it? Was it the Father? Was it the Son? Was it the Spirit? You know what the answer is? All of them. Understand, but the answer again, they all did it. All three persons of the Trinity were involved in the resurrection. All three persons of the Trinity involved, just as they were all involved with the creation, just as they were all at the baptism of Jesus, all of them involved. But each person of the Trinity working together in the resurrection of Jesus. And, you know, we do see the Trinity all throughout Scripture. God in three persons, Father, Son, and the Spirit. But now with all that said, Jesus right here, what's He doing? He's demonstrating His deity by expressing the future. And again, God knows it all. He knows all things. God knows all about the past, the present, the future. As a matter of fact, in Isaiah chapter 46, verses 9 and 10, the Bible says, For I am God, and there is no other, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet known. He knows the future, he knows it all, past, present, and future. And Jesus, again, in the text, what's he doing? He's declaring the future here, isn't he? That's what he's doing. And he's doing it by declaring his death, his resurrection. But then also this, and I want to bring this out. The second item that we find in this statement that is made by Jesus. But not only does he declare the future, but he also does declare a sign from heaven. He declares a sign from heaven. I want you to see this. But he does give them the sign from heaven and understand, and we'll just say it this way, but the sign that he declared from heaven, we'll call it deferred. We'll call it that. It's deferred in nature, but nonetheless, he gives them a sign from heaven. And and you might ask the question, what do you mean by that? Where are you going with this? Well, again, understand that when Jesus said, you will destroy this temple, this body of mine, and then in three days, you're going to raise it up. Remember, he is speaking of what? He is speaking of his death. He is then speaking of his resurrection, his dead body coming back to life. And I want you to hear me on this, but that is something right out of heaven, isn't it? It is. I mean, again, Scripture tells us that the Father had a hand in this. Scripture tells us that the Spirit had a hand in this. As a matter of fact, when you read about the empty tomb, we find who else was there. Angels from heaven were there. This is a heavenly thing. And so Jesus gives them a sign from heaven, even though, yes, it's deferred, it's coming, And he gives it to them right here. By the way, let me just bring something else out here as well. But some might want to ask, so why didn't Jesus at this point give the religious leaders what they were asking for? Why didn't he do it? I mean, right at that moment, why not just call something down right out of heaven? Could he have done it? Yeah, he could have. Here's the answer. But they had heard Jesus refer to the temple as his father's house. They heard it. They heard the statement of deity made by Jesus. They heard Jesus speak, and yet they didn't believe. When God spoke, they didn't believe it. And so I want you to hear me on this, but the point being is if someone will not believe the Word of God, then no miracle is going to convince them. It's not. If you're not going to believe what God says, you're not going to believe one of God's celestial miracles. And I want you to just hear me on this. Let me give you this example that makes the point. It comes out of Luke chapter 16. But quickly, in Luke chapter 16, there's the account of the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man is in hell. Lazarus is in heaven. And the rich man is quoted as saying, send back Lazarus to my brothers. In other words, the rich man wants Lazarus to go back to his brothers and tell them, you don't want to go, you don't want to go where the rich man is. You don't want to go to hell. And the rich man says, send Lazarus back to tell them they don't want to come here. And the reply that is given to the rich man in Scripture, it's fascinating. Listen to this. The reply is, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Did you hear that? They can see Lazarus rise up out of the grave. And yet if they don't believe the word of God, they're not going to believe anything. In other words, that's what's being taught. Again, a resurrection isn't going to convince them if they won't simply listen to when God speaks. And again, I want you to hear this, but the leaders heard the word of God, didn't they? They did. They heard Jesus say, This is my father's house. And yet they didn't believe him. So no sign is going to speak to him. As a matter of fact, listen to what Paul says Romans chapter 10, verse number 17. Paul says, So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Faith doesn't come through signs, guys. It doesn't come through signs. It comes through the hearing of the word of God. And so it is with the word of God that speaks to the heart. It's the word of God that convicts a man's soul. But that is an important point for us. But Jesus right here proving his deity, right? That's what he's doing. Speaking of what is to come, proving his omniscience, proving that he knows all things, speaking of his death, speaking of his Resurrection. But then let's do this. Let's just keep moving on through the text and we'll do this quickly. Look at verse number 20. In verse number 20, the scripture goes on to say the Jews then said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? <laughs> now, again, we see the hardness of the heart, right? We see the depravity of man. They, they just don't get it. They don't understand the point that Jesus is making. They don't understand God's Word. Or we could say this, they refuse to accept the Word of God. They were more interested in what? Their own power. They were more interested in their, uh, their wealth. They were more interested in their status before the people. By the way, just to add this, but you notice that nowhere in this text, after Jesus has cleared the temple, after He has made the point that the hearts of the leaders are selfish, you notice that not one of the leaders is repentant. Not one. But then you go back to the text and again, they say to Jesus, it's taken 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to raise it up in three days. Let me give you this very quickly. Just a quick history of the temple. This, by the way, is the second temple. This is not Solomon's temple. That was the first one. Solomon's temple was destroyed in 586 B.C., but then 70 years after that, construction began on the second temple. And so construction had really been going on for 500 years on this temple. But now understand this, but the 46 years that are being spoken of here, those are the years that Herod had come in. And Herod, after that temple had set a while, is fallen apart, Herod began a reconstruction project. And they're in year 46 of it. Also understand this. Seventy years later, Rome would destroy the temple. And even up until the time it was destroyed, they were still working on that building. Still working on that temple. But again, there is a sad commentary here, and that is the leaders. They just didn't understand it. They didn't understand the words of God. But then you look at verse 21. Verse 21 says, but he was speaking about the temple of his body. Now, John the apostle, just making sure that we all understand, this is speaking of the body of Jesus, his death, his resurrection. Then you look at verse 22. Verse number 22 says, when therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scriptures and the word that Jesus had spoken. Now, uh, we could spend some time here. Just a reference to the disciples of Jesus, isn't it? And understand this, they didn't totally understand. Throughout those three years with Jesus, There were many times they had trouble believing, didn't they? Yes, they did. And yet when Jesus was raised from the dead, then that was when the switch was flipped. That is when the light bulb came on. And that is when they got it. (laughs) They understood. And the text right here says that they finally saw what the Scriptures always had been speaking about. That Messiah would come. Die for the sins of man, rise up, conquering sin and death. I mean, you go through the Old Testament and it's all there. It's all there. Isaiah chapter 53, they finally got it. Isaiah speaking of Jesus on the cross. Psalm chapter 16, verse number 10, they finally got it. The resurrection of our Lord. But again, they understood. Finally, they saw the complete picture when jesus was raised from the grave amen to that let me say a lot there but point one in all this jesus he's god how do we know that because he knows everything here an example he knows the future he's deity And so there is the omniscience of Jesus. And here we have the example that Jesus knows all that is to come. But now, with that said, we have a second part of this text to look at, and we're going to do that on Monday when we come back together. And let me say that in the second part of this text, John is going to show us another way that we see the omniscience of Jesus. And that is, we are going to see that Jesus... He knows everything about you, and He knows everything about me. He knows all people, and He knows what is in man. Again, it is a wonderful text that awaits us, and we are going to open it up on Monday. But until then, I look forward to seeing you. You have a blessed weekend. Make sure that you find yourself in a Bible-teaching church on the Lord's Day, and we will see each other again as we spend time In God's Word.